Good morning, everyone. We welcome you warmly to our Saturday morning Bible study class. So glad you could join us. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And thank you for joining us. Our moderator today is Shahidat from Maryland. Hello, all. This morning's quote is from No One Yes by Mary Baker Eddy, page 30. God pities our woes with the love of a father for his child, not by becoming human and knowing sin or not, but by removing our knowledge of what is not. He could not destroy our woes totally if he possessed any knowledge of them. His sympathy is divine, not human. It is truth's knowledge of its own infinitude which forbids the genuine existence of even a claim to error. This knowledge is light wherein there is no darkness, not light holding darkness within itself. The consciousness of light is like the eternal law of God, revealing him and nothing else. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, beautiful. And that's our example, isn't it? Because that's our creator. That is what we are the image and likeness of in truth. Um, and I've, I've said and sometimes in trying to understand this concept, it was as if you were approaching the sun, the light of the sun, and there was all this darkness, whatever that darkness might be, fear, negativity, disease, darkness. As you approach the light, the light would dissipate the darkness, right? Sure. Yeah. So does the light know anything about that darkness? No. 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 So that's how I like to think of it. It doesn't know the darkness, but it the, the sun, the sun of the light of God, shining forth with such tremendous love for you as you approach him, as you get on your knees and make it your one calling in life to know more of him, the more you know of him, the more you approach him. That light goes into the deep corners of your being and heals whatever is wrong, not because it knows about it, but just because the tremendous love it has for you. The light vanquishing the darkness. He, he never made you as such. I'm. So, this is so beautiful because there's so many that are um, bombarded with maybe something we did in the past, and the little vo lying voice keeps, you know, pounding you with it. It keeps. It can be very aggressive, but you know, when we know this, then we have to accept that God never knew anything about that. And of course, we are in the light. Therefore, we're now returning to whatever it might be. We can forgive ourselves and accept this beautiful heritage that we have. Thank you, yes. Beautiful, yes. Well, and this really describes the truer sense of love that Jesus taught us, isn't it? Yes. And this is... This is, this is the point of the lesson. This is how we gain our at one -ment. 
with God. By having this same love in our own hearts. Divine, not human. <laughs> that reminds me of the hymn, God is love, unchanging love, and how can we ask for more? Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and once we know that, how could we be anything less ourselves? I, I love where it says, you know, by removing our knowledge of what is not. And for some reason that made me remember when I was, I think I was in kindergarten and somebody had given me a belt and the buckle had a word on it. And so when I put it on and I looked down, I could read it. And my mom was like, it's on upside down. I'm like, no, it's not, because I can read it. <laughs> and it, it took a couple minutes, and then I finally got it. But once you see it, you don't forget that. So, <laughs> with you forever. I think also that, again, it's so beautiful, and to think of it always like how God knows me. It's what keeps me, like Gary said, at one with him. Anything else, it gives that sense of separation all the time. And that carries on the fear and the worry and, you know, condemnation and all that goes on. But that is that voice that would always keep telling you, oh, no, you're not, you're this, you're that. Uh, we got to just it so that it's not true. And that's the point. Thank you, Father. I mean, that's the point. To think of any, to think of ourselves or anybody else as less than God's perfect child is unreal. And that is how Jesus healed, and that is how we heal by knowing the unreality of the dream in the first place, the unreality of the disease or the sin. Or the error. And that was, you know, Amanda's readings. Those, these were beautiful readings on Wednesday. That's what it was about. Um, and so these things we've, we seem to experience that have not been of God. It's, it's no more than a dream. And that's how you handle it, knowing it's a dream that you can awaken from. And not go over and over it or condemn yourself for it, but know it was just not the truth. Never was the truth. So that that was a beautiful quote. Thank you, Shahidat. Thank you to Linda for finding that for us. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Linda. So our readings for today are from Hosea and also from Matthew. I'll start for our first question. What's the definition of mercy? What does it mean to have mercy? Well, some definitions of compassion um, <clears throat> manifested towards the person in distress, pity, charity, grace. Also, it was um, one definition. This is from the Webster's, my 1828. Mercy, that which comes nearest to it is grace. It implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity or compassion, and clemency 
but exercised only towards offenders. Mercy is a distinguishing attribute of the Supreme Being. Forgiveness. I thought it was what? interesting where they said it was exercised only toward offenders because that reminded me of the time when Jesus said, you know, if you're kind and good to those that return it to you, what thank do you have? Because even sinners will do the same. But what about those that are that do good for those that hate them and persecute them? You know, they're the ones that God is working through to make, you know, the light of God more apparent and the evil to de destroy itself and be in the healing work, being in the healing process. Yeah, it seems to me that this this really <clears throat> tries to reach that divine perfection that is unconditional love. Sure. that loves no matter what, that forgives no matter what. Clemency is the forgiveness of, of, you know, a horrible crime. Grace is God's unconditional love for us. And that sort of de it defines, in a way, the difference between, you know, the mercy that man gives or human justice gives, and that of of God's mercy. They're very different, as we just talked about. God's mercy doesn't even acknowledge or see the sin. Um, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> have too much in my schooling about Shakespeare, but. In seventh grade, I had a very good English teacher who taught Shakespeare, and we all had to memorize, you know, that from the Merchant of Venice. And it's the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesses him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty, wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above this sceptered way. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute of God himself. And earthly power doth then show like his gods when mercy Seasons justice. And that idea, it's not strained. You know, it, it's it's not forced. Um, it's not given with great effort. If mercy is, you know, something you've got to conjure up and, and force it, well, it's not mercy. Mercy flows forth, as Gary says, it's it's compassion. It is divine and not human, yes. and that is why it flows forth. I thought it was interesting in the NIV, they said another, the Hebrew means it's reciprocal because uh, we, if we're, we are faithful to God and we're loyal to God, and that brings, so it goes back and forth. And I thought that was very interesting. 
that this is uh, not only God's faithfulness to us, but our faithfulness and loyalty to God. Thank His you. His mercy. Carrie, also again. forgive. Oh. No, please. No. Um, forgiveness is such a huge. Um, uh, it's very important as far as mercy is. Um, so many times when people, even our, with ourselves, we find it difficult sometimes to forgive ourselves for what we've done. And but to hear somebody say to one or for us to say that to somebody um, frees that person to to be able to forgive. If, if I can be forgiven by the person that I offended or that I hurt, they've forgiven me. But that just opens the door for the person to forgive themselves. And that's, that's where the healing is. It's, just a, it's a wonderful forgiveness is such a wonderful Thing. If we can, most a lot of people think, well, if I forgive them, I'm excusing what they've done, and that's not what we're doing. It says here, we're, it's, it's not, we're not, it's not. They're not. They have to make amends for what they've done, but first they have to for, be forgiven and forgive themselves, and then they can see how to correct whatever needs to be corrected. Um, but you, the one forgiving also is blessed much because, I mean, try holding a grudge and see how it feels. It doesn't feel good. It's <laughs> a lot of effort. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, and this gets back to what the uh, what we read at the very beginning. When when we forgive someone, truly forgive them. It's not that we got down into the mud with them and condoned what they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's when we have risen above it and seen the unreality of the sin or the error or the whatever, what, the offense, and we separate that from the person and know that it was never a part of that person never the reality of that person, then we can forgive the person. We don't forgive the, the offense. We just, but we, we have to rise above it and see the unreality of the offense and not be offended by the person. Sure. I, I know that I had to, for something, I had to really keep praying, Father, help me to see the unreality of this offense or whatever they had done. I just, for a long time, I had to just keep, because it would just <laughs> keep bothering me. But it, it went away. It went away, yeah. And it freed you. Yes, oh yes. <laughs> it will free anyone who truly forgives. Truly forgives. Not by condoning the error, but by rising above it and seeing its unreality and separating it from the person who did it. Yes. And that, that's so freeing, mainly for yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that statement about um, bitterness is a poison you prepare for someone else and you end up drinking yourself. <laughs> <laughs> as is. As Florence said, it's not fun to 
hold a grudge. I think some of the best relationships I've ever enjoyed have been a result of forgiveness on my part and the other individual's part, and that it's it's opened up a blessed relationship. It's really so healing. That's well, true. and it should, shouldn't it? Because yeah. by doing so, you're you're seeing the unreality of the offense that tried to ruin the relationship in the first place. Yep. And now you both have room to move higher. Yeah. And you know, they're they're beautiful stories. I, I've seen them on on YouTube and of of, you know, even even people who have been put in prison. There was a story I read recently about that. Someone she was put falsely in prison for a long time. And when she finally got out and her biggest challenge then was just to totally forgive which she did which enabled her to move on and actually shadow last i heard she moved to ireland she was giving courses on to help people learn to forgive because she, and also while she was in prison you know things were happening bad things seemed to be happening to her family so there was a lot that she had to get over and forgive and not be bitter um but it, it's a tremendous step forward to do that and as we've said, if Jesus could forgive on the cross, who are we to not forgive? Whatever, whatever has been so-called done to us. Ask God, he will help you. He does. He does. Mm -hmm. Surprise. Mm -hmm. For our next question. Keeping the definition of mercy and One thing. Oh, go ahead, please. I thought it was really interesting how often justice goes with mercy, or since like they go together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, even in our own lesson, justice. Mrs. Eddy writes, justice requires reformation of the sinner. Mercy cancels the debt only when justice approves. And um, so I thought that was interesting. It's just not alone. There's others parts to it. Yeah, and another part of science and health says the pardon of divine mercy is the destruction of error. So. Yes, and, and sin is its own punish, punishment. It will punish. It's all sin can do. It's all error can do is destroy itself. It, it'll do it. And that is the result of divine love. Yeah. It is divine love that we punish ourselves for the sins we <laughs> commit. I think too, if you're holding, if you're not forgiving, you, it you can't progress spiritually um, because, in a way, if you're if you're holding that unforgiveness in your heart, whether it's toward yourself or another, in a sense, it's really hatred, and that would block your progress. Yeah. <laughs> you're stuck in the past. Mm -hmm. Correct. And also, isn't it really dishonoring God if we are touching a lie forever with somebody? It's dishonoring God. God never created such. So we are, are we lying about him then? Yes, thank mm -hmm. you. That helped me shape up. Mm -hmm. Well, if you can't forgive, I mean, it bothers you all the time. Um, in that article, Taking Offense, 
there is a line, I think, at the beginning that says, if I wish to punish somebody, I would make them hate someone. Right. Thank you, yes. And that's kind of what a lack of forgiveness, if someone said it's like, it is hate. If it's not love, it's hate. And that was that one example that Mrs. Evans gave that her practitioner said, well, if you don't love her, you hate her. Um, referring to a someone that Mrs. Evans didn't like, and she was a young woman at the time. Yeah, she said, no, I, I don't hate her. I just don't like her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it sort of ends up bothering you. I mean, it keeps you bothered if you don't forgive yeah. something. And ultimately, isn't it just another disease? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> one of the worst ones. Because yeah. Keep at it. Well, <laughs> not no, not fun. No, right. and it's all wrapped up together. The the hate and the disease. <laughs> neither one is true. But Mrs. Eddy says hatred is what a plague spot. Yeah. Spreads its virus. virus. Yeah, and all this talk about virus. Let's think about that. Okay, let's think yes. about instead of thinking about virus, let's think about cleaning up hatred toward our brothers and sisters and that will do more to heal any virus than a vaccine or anything else can do let's spread universal love then yes universal. um carrie sent me a really good article we'll have to put it on the carousel and in our magazine called forgiveness by Isabella Lamont. It's from an 1894 Christian Science Journal, but it speaks on the importance. Um, it says, I doubt, I doubt not we have all uttered that prayer a thousand times to forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors without ever thinking that there was a condition in it. How do you forgive your debtors? If another has wronged you, do you say, yes, I forgive you, and then keep thinking of it and having it recur again and again in your thought and justify yourself by saying, yes, I forgave it, but I can't forget it. As long as you think of it as an offense, it is not forgiven. And then, then to forgive a transgression is to blot it out of your memory or your consciousness, to destroy it, to make it cease to exist. Have you done that? If you have not, then according to the statement, for if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses, you need not suppose that you are forgiven. What does that statement mean? Does it mean that God's attitude to you is to be determined by your attitude to your fellow man, that his conduct is to be regulated and guided by yours? If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is always absolute, Right, he is not thinking kindly of you today and angry with you tomorrow. If ye forgive not men their trespasses must mean, if you have not eliminated from your consciousness the sense of evil sufficiently to see that your brother's real being cannot commit an offense and your real being is not susceptible of receiving offense, then your conception of God is too limited and material to perceive that he is unchangeable love and that every good and every perfect gift cometh from him, but that nothing evil, but that is 
evil or imperfect. And then this is a, a poem. I hold it true that thoughts are things endowed with bodies, breath, and wings, and that we send them forth to fill the world with good results or ill. That which we call our secret thought speeds to the earth's remotest spot and leaves its blessings or, it wo or its woes like tracks behind it as it goes. <laughs> and then this was a story I, I was trying to find because I remember it, and it's such a really good one. It, it, it's this, that this it says it's the story of a Catholic woman who went to her priest and confessed having gossiped illustrated this. He told her that he must inflict a penance to teach her the evil of it. So he gave her a ripe thistle, which he told her to scatter by the wayside and then report to him. She went away very happy, thinking what an easy pen penance it was. But when she returned the next day and told him that she had done it, he told her then to go and gather up all the seeds that she had scattered. And the impossibility of that task showed her the irreparable wrong of retailing error. Now that retailing is distributing. So <laughs> think about it. You know, when you gossip and you let all this stuff go all over the place, that, let it put a zipper on your mouth. And then go around and apologize to everybody that you gossiped to. Yes. And everybody that you... That you gossiped about. Yes. And all the people it, may, it might have affected. So sometimes it helps to think wisely about our actions and, and what the consequences are. <laughs> Don't plant those seeds unless you want them to grow. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... It's a a good illustration i yeah, thought so <clears throat> question two yeah maybe we're in question two all right question two in matthew jesus heals a palsy man but first he tells him his sins were forg are forgiven before telling him to arise and walk why is that significant why did he do that well, the policy is caused by his sins. That was the belief at the time, wasn't it? Yes. He was sure that he was suffering for some kind of a sin. That was a general belief at the time. That was sort of their medicine at the time, the medical belief. Well, plus the fact that the uh, palsy man probably was entertaining self-condemnation for these sins, and that was keeping him from rising up in thought. So when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, think of the lift that must have given him so that he was able to rise up in thought. Exactly. He knew where the guy's thought was. He knew that that was a general belief. And he was eliminating in the guy's thought what the guy thought the cause of his condition was. Well, I know when I came here, I was 
I was happy to, to have the opportunity to help other people, but I didn't feel that I really deserved much myself. <laughs> so it took a little bit to get past that. And then, but once I did, then, then, you know, spiritual growth could happen. So quite wonderful. I, the, I remember the thing that helped me to get past the deserving thing. I was cooking uh, banana bread to bring into the church and I took it out and I was cutting it and I thought banana bread doesn't deserve to be banana bread. It just is banana bread. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody loved it. (laughs) And then I just laughed and I thought, well, I guess I don't, I don't deserve to be Jeremy. I just am Jeremy. So I'm just going to trust that. That's great. Wonderful. You just never know what's going to reach people. That's right. And, you know, often in the the practice, and it was something Mrs. Evans gave us a lot, and that's the chapter, Pond and Purpose, in miscellaneous writings. And she speaks because, you know, there's sort of the relative way to look at this and then the absolute. And she starts off that you have to repent and see – See yourself, what you were doing, and and really repent of it and and loathe it before you progress. And doesn't she also say, in sin, you've got to admit you're sinning. In sickness, you never admit it because it's not the truth. But in sinning, yes. And then you get past that to know the nothingness of it, and you rise up out of it because that's also a very important step. You can't. Joe said you can't if you hold on to it and condemn yourself you'll never get anywhere you've got to see it for what it is and then rise up and that's why Mrs. Eddy's article body is a wonderful and important one because she addresses this she says well it seemed like a wonderful thing where you can maybe see well you've got a problem because of the way you were thinking but then she says but we have to go beyond that and and know really know that the hate or negativity or fear or whatever was binding you is no more real or true than the physical so-called physical manifestation of it they're both not the truth of your being um but there is this process of uh, well in the first stages of this to have to admit it and, Mm -hmm. and truly repent of it you can't just skip over which is what we see and Mrs. Eddy addresses this in Science Health. Skip over the whole thing. God is love. I'm perfect. I can go around killing people, but I'm okay because <laughs> I'm God's perfect child. Well, that is utter absurdity. Yeah. That article, over, Overcoming, Not Overlooking. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. And Overcoming by Obedience, Martha Wilcox. Um, it's strict obedience to these rules, the moral rules, and they must be adhered to. Um, and you might have started out not knowing you were doing it. Most of us didn't know we were doing it. I, di- I didn't know fear and negativity were sins, but now I do. Once you know, then you better not indulge in it anymore, or you will suffer until you stop. That's just how it is. I can't also help thinking, you know, in the world generally, they uh, condemn sin, but they also accept the idea like this person's stuck in it. Yes. That, you know, that's around. Yes. But think about this. We're not stuck in it. Thank you. There is a way out. You know, uh, we've been talking about this love that doesn't even acknowledge the evil and 
when we are reach that point, you know, healing is natural. There's a statement in Science and Health where Mrs. Eddy says that it's natural for sin to give way to reformation. Yes. We read it in our delight. lesson a week mm-hmm. or two ago. Yes. And I can remember from my own experience many times when I read that statement, it, it gave me a release. It gave me a sense of encouragement and hope. Yes, there is a way out of this, and I'm not stuck with it. Thank I don't you. have to keep on behaving this way. You know, that's that old song. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. Come on. Hey, I don't say them anymore. <laughs> All right. And that's a new man. That's putting out the old for the new. <laughs> and this is where you have to be careful of of psychology, which Mrs. Eddy says is a study of foolishness and other things, because they label you, even, I guess, Alcoholics Anonymous, all and in schools, you have to put a protective wing over your child. They'll, oh, he's got this, that, or the next thing. They label. If you don't do something by a certain time, whoops. You you're know. autistic or you're something, you know, you're, you know, you're something wrong with you. And and what did you say, that Einstein didn't talk till he was two or something? Yeah, Einstein. Yeah, he was really old. Yeah, he was, he was like three or four years old before he started talking. Every child is different. They unfold. Don't let any labeling going on on you, on anything. And don't label yourself as being um, you know, limited in any way. Limited in any way, yes. Don't label yourself. Get yeah. rid of those labels. That's funny about Einstein because he spent a lot of time observing and then mm-hmm. saying what his findings were. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, also, he, he, he prayed. He, he may not have called it praying. But he listened to his intuition, which is inspiration, we know. And when when he was confronting a physics problem, he would, the way he confronted it was, he would ask himself, if I were God, how would I create the universe? How, How would I create this thing to function? That is how he thought. So all those years he wasn't talking, he was observing. <laughs> and who's to say, you know, who's to say what's better than the next? There, it's None is better than the next. It's all different. And we, everybody unfolds in different ways. Certainly children do. But we do as adults as well. So don't compare yourself or label yourself. You see someone you think is progressing so much in science and you're not. Well, that is, you know, bushwas. <laughs> Just because someone is talking. What do they really have to say? That's yeah, useful. That's right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Got to be careful about talk. Talk is cheap. Talk yeah. is cheap. Yeah, that's talk. Yeah. Prove a little. Yeah. And that problem of the hickory tree. Oh article yes. Goes very well. Thank that. you. That was a te- that was an article that we worked with a lot, and it's on the carousel now. And I, I thought we had used it more recently, but it's, it was in the 90s that 56 Healing Thoughts was a long time ago. All of you should study that. And it, it's so beautifully put. All the different flowers, how everything comes out at its own pace. That hickory trick tree was the last to get its leaves, but nobody worried about it, right? You didn't <laughs> worry about it. You just knew, okay, eventually it'll come out. And eventually it did. So it was different. So what? So what? It takes so. each of us to make all of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. And send us whole. 
<laughs> and isn't it wonderful that we're all different? Yes. Mm. How boring would life be if we were all right. the same? <laughs> yeah, it would be. It's terrible. And God then, knew what he was doing. And then the other thing is not to have pride about, you know, because you think you are or you develop so quickly or you were so smart or your child and, you know, can do somersaults at six months. Just zip that too. Just zip it, zip it, zip it. It means zero. Do not be impressed. What means what's important is how much Christ they eventually express. Yeah. And and that because all of this is just it is obnoxious. OK, and it's true about later on in schools, what school you go to, how great you are, how great your child is. I heard the most beautiful story. Well, first, Jeremy never went to high school. College. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, college. <laughs> never went to college. Never I, went I to college. <laughs> yeah. and, and look at him and all that he's doing. I mean, my gosh. And then he told me, tell me about your dad. Oh yeah, my my dad he never went to college. Um, I mean, he was he just turned eighteen when I was born, actually. And um, but since then, you know, he studied uh, a lot of books, and he he practically works as an engineer. And they use his resume to get new bridge jobs, like a, a one that's coming up in Virginia that's $3.8 billion, he told me. <laughs> They're using his resume to try to get it. I just think that's amazing, and I think he it shows what the power of hard work is. He designs bridges. He des his father designs right? well, bridges. He, he's, he's the one that makes sure that everything is right along the way, from the drawings in the beginning to how it's put together. He oversees the construction. And stuff. But he taught himself engineering. He taught, he taught himself -taught. how to build bridges. And that is a job with great, great responsibility, I would say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> great my, responsibility. My friend who's an engineer, this is Suzanne, she was the first uh, woman at MIT, but she said that building bridges is the ultimate dream um, of engineers. Like when she sees a bridge, she gets so excited <laughs> about it. <laughs> well, so, so yeah. self-taught apprenticeship. I tell you, you want to be a, in the practice and learn to heal, you stick around with us. You stick with healers. Um, you become one. It rubs off on you. It, that's how apprenticeship and I just thought that was wonderful about Jeremy and his father. They did not go to college. They don't have any of these degrees and yet they are fulfilling a wonderful life purpose being self-taught. And also what was that story? Amazing Grace that happened. Oh, yeah. Uh, we watched the movie about that. And for a while, that man w was he was a slave and there was a single book. I think it was just a geometry book. But he taught himself the whole thing, like all kinds of amazing things. I don't remember exactly what the math was, but it was yes. very incredible. The guy, I guess it was the guy that wrote Amazing Grace and that had been responsible for slave ships. He himself became a slave for a while and was on some deserted island and treated rather badly. And he had one book, self-taught. He used to draw on the sand. And eventually those things, mathematical things he learned, helped get him out of difficult situations um so we always have opportunities possibilities it's just a matter of are you lazy or not are you willing to learn these things jeremy was self-taught he studied this stuff 
on his own. So there we are. <laughs> Mrs. Evans never went to college. That's true, too. Thank you. Mrs. Evans never went to college. And she did not think highly of college, actually. <laughs> and if she said, if you send your kid to school, make sure it's close by and that you're watching what they're learning, because some of what they learn is not worth two cents. Gosh, or worse. Or worse. So you might have to remove our knowledge of what is not afterwards. That's it. Yeah. That's it. I, I think things are changing, all this homeschooling and other stuff. We, we have to watch what our children are learning and teach them the fundamentals of Christianity and morality and virtue and all of that, all of the good and not all this nonsense. And the joys of work and purpose. Yes. Well, and college doesn't necessarily teach you anything that you couldn't learn in a book. And people who are self-taught are learning more than what they teach you in college. True. <laughs> Absolutely right. I went to a teacher's college, and anything I learned was when I student-taught apprenticeship. By courses, I don't even remember what they were. Okay, number three. Okay. Question three. So Jesus is having a meal with sinners, and the Pharisees come by. They're not very pleased about that. And he tells them to go learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repent to repentance. And this is from Matthew. What is he saying there? Well, Jesus came to save those who were aware of their need for repentance, not for those who were self-righteous and thought they were perfect and they didn't need anybody's help to do or anybody to tell them what they, what they, they were to, anyway, it, he were, he came to save those that were willing to let go and, and were, were wanting, saw the need for change. And, and that's, those are the ones that Jesus came to help. Yeah, not the ones who prayed and said, thank God I'm not like other men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Between the lines, I think what he's really saying is that self-righteousness is the greatest of sins. And those mm -hmm. that are labeled sinners and are ready to hear what he has to say are the ones that are really doing okay. Exactly. Huh? Yeah, this was not only an explanation of his mission, the truer sense of love that he brought, that heals, but also it was a rebuke to the Pharisees that he's, he's, you know, we should all be here to heal and, and not get stuck on empty rituals and think that they are actually worth anything. Yeah. Yeah. He saw these, all this sacrificing of these poor animals, um, as if, you know, that was their penance. And then they went ahead and did whatever they went a whoring. <laughs> they darn well felt like and what a mockery that is and we must see today how do we do this how do we think well you know even just well i read the lesson i go to church how come i haven't had my healing well how come you haven't had your healing are you still hating your sister susan as, as jeremy's mother <laughs> was <laughs> or 
or, you know, whatever else you're indulging in, are you still fearful and negative? And um, so what if you go to church and read your lesson and then you can continue to disobey commandments of God and Christ Jesus? Then it's just, you think by doing that, that gives you a free pass and collect $200 and go pass go. No, you've got to live it. You have to be living it. So I keep thinking of that moment. I know it's been mentioned a number of times, but um, those of us that are have watched or are watching The Chosen, that that moment in the last, I don't know, it was the last episode. I can't remember. But in that first season where Jesus um, looks back at Matthew, he's sitting in where he was collecting the money. Everybody hated him. The Jews, you know, hated him because he was working for the Romans, collecting taxes. And yet Jesus looked around behind him and just said to Matthew, follow me. And I mean, the look in Jesus's face and the look in Matthew's face, I mean, it was just unbelievable that he should ask Matthew, who was hated by the Jews and his friends, that to follow him. And that was just a, such a wonderful telling moment of how Jesus looked at, you know, how he wanted to help those who, who were, you know, anyway, that was a moment that well, brought back this, this Bible study brought that moment back to me. May yeah. I add on to that? Yes. That, that, no, that, of course that, not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, wanted, I thought about it a few minutes ago. In that same scene that he chosen, he had dinner with the sinners, and he wasn't shaking his finger at them. He was laughing and teaching them mm-hmm. with love and joy. And mm-hmm. I, I just I thought that was so profound. And they were well. That's because they were ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. As someone earlier said, they they acknowledged they needed help. They yeah. needed. They weren't perfect, and and they recognized the good that Jesus yeah. was doing and stood for, as did Matthew. Yeah. They tried to stop it going. Like one guy that was guarding it said, "You don't want to leave. You know, this is crazy. What are you doing? <laughs> right. I won't give you protection. You're not going to have money. You know, <laughs> you stupid. <laughs> this is stupid." And he just ignored it and just walked away. Because he could see that look in Jesus's face. He he knew Matthew's heart. And I thank you for bringing that up, Karen, because it's in the lesson this week about. And I when I heard it read by Florence, I said, "Florence is remembering the chosen." <laughs> 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 I was transported back to the show. Follow me. She just said it like I knew what she was thinking. (laughs) Because those scenes are hard to forget. And and it's throughout the chosen, uh, his love. He picks the yeah, the worst sinners to love and you 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 never could figure out who he's gonna go to next and bless next from the very first episode. Because he knew their hearts. And yes, it I love I love that betrayal of Jesus, and I also love it in the other one that we like, John. What was it? The Apostle, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John because it shows even when he was seemed angry. Well, there were some parts where he was definitely angry with the Pharisees, but there were other parts. It was more like he was cajoling them, like, "Come on, guys, you can do better than this," which I feel he probably was. It wasn't just all oh, this, you know. He he was. 
gentle, kind, compassion, had a great sense of humor. That's why the children loved him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was the way that that a parent tries to get a small child to understand something. Yes, yes. I love that. And thank God Matthew went, because look what we have now, this gospel of Matthew. Yes. Go on and on about Matthew. I mean, one of them is the extended narrative of the Sermon on the Mount, which is stated so clearly, and and other things in this book here. Yeah, he, he, he loves the details. So. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, that's he wrote right. them down. And and maybe he didn't start to talk or walk till he was <laughs> whatever. But but he unfolded at his own pace and and did tremendous good work. And the least of the Jews, as far as the, all the Jews were yeah. concerned, he has that first book in the That's New Testament. True. So. Yeah. So the parallel uh, verse to this is in Hosea. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So let's stay with Hosea here. What was the state of Israel during the time of Hosea, during the prophet Hosea's time? And that how did that parallel his own life? Or what he was told to do in his own life? Well, I I got um off the internet. Um it says that the uh, during the long reign of King Jeroboam II, Israel's victory in several military cam- campaigns led to the nation into a period of unprecedented prosperity and independence. And boy, I, when I was reading this, I thought, hmm, does this sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> but as Israel's fortune soared, the moral fabric of its society collapsed. Corruption and spiritual depravity ran rampant. Israel began to worship pagan deities and attributed the works of God to Baal, broke their covenant with God, and no longer obeyed his laws. They stopped trusting in God and sought foreign alliances. Boy, that sounds familiar. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so that's what was going on. And then I thought it was so interesting how Hosea's, um, how his own life his wife, he, he, God, <laughs> told him. It says, Hosea's ministry, the prophet, expounded on the adultery metaphor, calling Israel to account for its idolatry and apostasy, laying out God's charges against the people and foretelling judgment. And then he's told to marry um, Gomer, who practiced unfaithfulness as a lifestyle, his three children, were given names to foretell, you know, Jezreel, we know who she was. Um, and anyway, his, his life was paralleling um, what was going on. And Hosea's message was clear, sin brings judgment. Hosea warned of painful consequences, invasion, and slavery. And, um, but I have a wonderful... Um, it was a wonderful commentary, and I wish I could remember. Well, maybe it's skipping to the next one. But um, anyway, like we've talked about other prophets in the past, how he was there to warn 
if they don't change their ways, what was ahead for them? That, that this was not going to do anything good for them. It was going to bring down all kinds of punishment and, and things that were not going to make them um, happy. And anyway, I found this wonderful commentary about, I'm skipping to the five, to number five, but it says, like pent-up waters rushing forth, as soon as the barrier is taken away, God's love pours, its, uh, pours itself out immediately. His answer ever gives more than the penitent asks. Robe and ring and shoes and a feast to him who dared not expect more than a place among the hired servants. He gives not by drops, but in floods, answering the pair, prayer for the taking away of iniquity by the promise to heal backsliding, going beyond desires and hopes and the gift of love, which asks for no recompense, is drawn forth by no desert, but wells up from the depths of God's heart and strengthens the new, tremulous trust of the penitent by the assurance that every trace of anger is effaced from God's heart. I love that. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. I don't know if you could, well, put that somewhere. But yeah, we usually add them. We'll oh, have good. A, we'll have a... Yes. And, and we've mentioned this, you know, we saw this wonderful movie. I think it was called Amazing Love, right? Amazing yes, Love. Yes, that's what it was called. With John Aston, who's Patty Duke's son. He's a Christian. And he, he tells in the movie the story of Hosea, which I did not know all these years. I've read the Bible. I don't know where I was. I just kind of skimmed over a lot of this, I guess. This is quite the story to marry this prostitute, so unfaithful. All, all, he, all he did was love her, finally had to get her out of bondage and pay for, uh -huh. for her release because she had gone astray and was with some horrible person. Um, but the point being to show God's love for us, no matter what we do. His love, as we talked about earlier, was unconditional. And what's the favorite line in that movie, Jeremy? Oh, uh, yeah, Hosea was, he, he made these clay things and would sell them to one of the shopkeepers, but was also telling everyone that, that you know, slavery was on the way if they didn't mend their ways. And the shopkeeper said, I don't know why you keep saying this stuff. Our gods are doing just fine by us. <laughs> so. During all the prosperity, our gods are doing just fine by us. So... Hearts, we just look back now at this. Now we're in Haggai and the shaking of the nations. Are, are the gods doing just so good for us? The gods of Materia Medica and education and government, are they doing real well for us now? Just see. I don't think they are myself. I think they're it's Gary's testimony. The false systems will fail. As they must. As they must. And that includes the false system of the organization. Um, I, I read again recently, just read the first chapter of the Eustace book and what happened to the him and the board of trustees. If you think that this is a legitimate organization that Mrs. Eddy founded, think again. And everyone who tells me not to talk about it only makes me want to get up on the roof and <laughs> shout it as long <laughs> So don't even try anymore because I'm not listening. If, and, if, go ahead. And if, if you believe that Boston is doing the right thing, then why are you listening to, to this us. church? Yes. 
That's right. Why why are you listening? Coming and feeding off my website if you're happy. And I know people say that they're working within to change. Well, I would love to see the change. And I also, as we all did here originally, we worked, we had every intention of working within the system. We were excommunicated, as was Eustace, who also, I'm sure, wanted to work within the system. As was Carpenter. As was Carpenter, as was... Mrs. Eddy. As <laughs> she wanted the, the churches to take science. Yes. And Christ Jesus, <laughs> you know, was talking to the Pharisees. That's it. So, so anyway. Thank you for that. That was beautiful, Karen. I also, for, I should have mentioned that, you know, before that, they did, um, again, in the Benson commentary, they did, the people did, they said that we will not rely. They changed. I mean, they changed their, you know, for God, for God to, to reveal that to them, his promise to them. They did have to agree to change their ways. And they did, we will not rely on Assyria for protection or help. We will not write upon, we will not implore the help of Egypt. Um, we will renounce every species of idolatry and image worship. Um, so, you know, they did come to their senses and realize, whoops, we, we need to make a change here. But that's when that, that I just read here about God, it was so, so quick that, you know, God answered you know, he didn't, didn't take time. It just turned, just slightly turned. And guess what? I'm right here with open arms. And anyway. Just... Thank you. That is so beautiful and so comforting and so true. It does not take time. Once you turn and go through this process that we <clears throat> talked about, it's the floodgates will open. And, you know, sometimes you can be working and working and working. You seem to be in the dark and then just suddenly the light pours forth. The floodgates open. Um, that's why we never give up. And that's true of our nation and all nations. The floodgates will open up and it will be wonderful. We can have the reign of heaven on earth. There is only one other thing that I, I forget where I read it, but it made the point of, you know, you're, sometimes you're just asked to do a simple thing. It's like the story, what was that leper? Um, he didn't want to go wash in, in Jordan. Naaman. So, so, I mean, well, sometimes it's not so simple thing, but you're, you're asked to forgive, okay? You can run around and try to do everything else in the world, like give more money to church <laughs> and go... <laughs> <laughs> send money to charity do all this kind of stuff but if you haven't forgiven you haven't done what you were asked to do like right? the servant said the nickname and if, that, if he'd asked you to do some great quest you would do it right yes, yes. <laughs> yeah so you don't try to avoid this unforgiving heart or whatever else you're asked give up your negativity and don't think doing other things are going to make up for this request <laughs> Change of heart, change of face, mercy. Mercy and goodness shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, Shahida. Yeah, that was great. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Thank you. 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 Thank you.